Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Welcome to The Bridge, we're a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason, and today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex. Uh, well, China imports more than 2.71 trillion U.S. dollars of goods each year. That's a lot. Those imports represent a value greater mm-hmm. than most countries' total GDP. And I mean like big countries. We're talking about European powerhouses. That is more money than their entire economy. That's just what China imports. With APEC... In San Francisco, set to begin, the world will be looking for opportunity for global growth, and a lot of nations will be also looking to get access to the world's largest consumer base, China. Topping it all off, there is a very high chance of President Xi Jinping meeting with President Biden. Let's talk talk Turkey. Turkey. What do you think? (laughs) I love that. It's almost Turkey time. It is. It is. And we're planning. But about APEC and this meeting that we've been all kind of anticipating, and we don't know if it's going to happen. And as far as I can recall, the the recent response from the foreign ministry is that, you know, it is important to have this, but they didn't give a very clear answer as to whether they will meet or not. But as just regular people from the the, uh, China side and the U.S. side, I think we both agree that we want this to happen and APEC has absolutely been something that is on the map and dare I say that the development advancement of APEC is probably going to bring more goods to the world and a lot of other alliances. I agree with you and I have so many things to say I wish I had more than one mouth so I could say them all at one, <laughs> one time. But okay so you know a lot of people thought that there was not going to be a meeting when Blinken unilaterally announced that Se- uh, US Secretary Blinken that he's coming to China for a meeting mm. but then there was a meeting yeah. and then Gavin Newsom didn't have every all his ducks in a row either, but he showed up and he got a meeting with President Xi Jinping and several others. And then we had Wang Yi go to Washington, yep. D.C. And it seems like in spite of everything, all these meetings that are not secure until the last minute end up going forward. So I'm very hopeful that the uh, Xi-Biden meeting in San Francisco will take place. A lot of friends of mine who are reporters are on their way to San Francisco, mm. and I don't think they would be going just for APEC. I think that they're going because they're hopeful that there's going to be a Xi-Biden meeting. And it may be the meet, you know, you and I, we're trying to build bridges, right? But, you know, we can't have the impact that the presidents of the two most important countries in the world can have. So if there is a Xi-Biden meeting and they say very positive and optimistic things, it could be, you know, a new day for Sino-U.S. relations. So I have a hope hanging on their discussion. Absolutely. And I think we mentioned this in a previous episode as well, Jason, you and I we were talking about the the importance of people actually having face time with each other, not the app, not the call mm-hmm. app, but the actual time meeting face to face. And even if it's about having hard conversations on issues that they, you know, uh, disagree with each other about, it's still very important for them to meet and talk about it. And, and it's not just going to affect um, Sino-U.S. relations is actually going to affect the entire world on really important issues. And I, I'm i hoping I'm not, you know, I'm not anyone that makes decisions for either leaders, but 
I'm hoping that they will talk about climate change. They'll talk about energy issues. They'll talk about regional conflicts and all of these things. And hopefully as China and U.S. is the two biggest economy, if I'm correct, oh, yeah. hopefully join forces to do some good for the world. You know, I, I heard that climate could be the new ping pong diplomacy. So Nixon and mm. Kissinger came over and spoke with Mao. And that was like, they, they call this ping pong diplomacy. Everyone is now thinking maybe global climate change is the new ping pong diplomacy. It's something mm. everyone can agree that we need to do something about. But I want to emphasize something else because we're talking a little bit about APEC. I know I don't want to get all APEC-y because, mm. however, you know, I want to talk about U.S. goods that are sold in China a little bit because yes. that is something Americans can agree is positive for them. I was reading some of the statistics and I'm not going to get too statisty, but statisticy. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to go that route too much, but $37 billion in U.S. agricultural goods were sold to China in the year 2022. And U.S. farmers sold more goods to China in 2022 than they did in 2021. Mm. And they sold more to China in 2021 than in 2020. And they sold more in 2020 than 2019. So U.S. farmers are having literally a field day field day <laughs> selling agricultural goods from their field to uh china and every year for four years in a row the amount it's growing yeah, it's growing so uh, that's really good for u.s farmers one thing i know that all americans can agree on is yeah. that the u.s farmer is you know the quote-unquote backbone of America, you know, like, so mm. if they're able to do well by selling goods to China, then that's great for China because they can get sorghum and corn, yeah. and whatever else they're importing. And uh, the U.S. farmer can do well by selling to a giant consumer. Now, I want to talk about this because different people will say U.S. is a larger economy or China is a larger economy. And mm. that actually kind of misses the point because both can be measured as the largest economy, depending on how it's measured. But that's actually not the most relevant thing. The most relevant thing is how many people are in the middle class and upper class? How yes. many consumers are able to access the market and buy products that are you know international or yeah. national? And the United States has a population of 350 million people, but in the middle class, we're talking about a couple hundred million people. China has half a billion people in its middle class. <laughs> so the Chinese consumer market is twice the size of the United States, despite how we measure economics. That's a fact. I went to the grocery store recently. Okay. And I saw some products that were imported. As an American, I was had my American eye, my goggles on from being in America. And I looked around and I saw things that we can find in China that are brought in from the United States. But I'm going to give you the opportunity as someone who has <laughs> lived in the U.S. to go first. Are there things you can find in your local market, your local grocer that um, you recognize are international? Okay. I think there are... We are we have to talk different categories. There are big Ooh. brands, you know, that, you know, we talked about big food brands before. There are brands yeah. that have been localized. I've been in China for the longest time. There are yeah. they're potato, uh, potato chip brands and ketchup yeah. brands. Basically, a lot of condiments that are not local Heinz. to Chinese people. Yes, right. And then um, um, uh, the mustard brands 
French's. Yes. So, but I don't know. Is that, is that I'm not. I was actually curious. Is that is that from the U.S. or is that from France? It's because it's called French's. But like, is French fries French or? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there are a lot of goods, and and I heard that you know China wasn't importing as much uh, wine from Australia, but that's not true. When I was in the grocery store, I found Yellowtail. It's yes. still available here in China. It's one of the largest um, wine exports from Australia to uh, China and both are APEC members. Uh, the United States is an APEC member. Uh, China is an APEC member. Almost everyone in the Pacific, what is it? Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum. So yes. all of these uh, countries are part of this giant economic forum mm-hmm. and they try to push forward free trade policies. That's what it used to be called anyway. Free trade policies, which means facilitating as much open trade between different countries as possible, which China is really on board with trying to open up its market uh, to the rest of the world. There have been some holdbacks in different countries. Different countries do kind of guard different kinds of what they they consider national interests and stuff. Mm. You know, you go to the store. What do you have? Listerine. I use Listerine, American product. Yeah, yes, yes. So you can get lots of American products. I want to go over some really things that I've gone over before, but because we're talking about this right now. These are companies from the U.S. that are that are operating in China that maybe a lot of Americans are familiar with, or maybe they're not. KFC is part of Yum! Brand. So KFC, (laughs) Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. And there's a couple other parts of that. I'm not sure what they are. All Mm. operating here in China. 13,000 KFCs in in China. 500 in Shanghai alone. 500 KFCs in Shanghai. That's that's almost an astronomical number of KFCs. That's a little too many KFCs. Well, I guess if you want chicken, you're going to be able to find it in Shanghai. Oh, another one that I was really surprised by. I was in the airport in Shanghai coming back from... Uh the China International Import Expo. And, you know, I've seen Burger King. I've seen McDonald's. I've seen all these brands. I even saw In-N-Out Burger. They did one of those one-day venues in San Lito. Yes, the pop-ups. Pop-ups, that's right. That's the word I was looking for or phrase. But I was in Shanghai uh, Airport. I was about to fly to Beijing. And then I was like, it can't be. And I found a Carl's Jr. I don't know what that and is. I was just, <laughs> oh my gosh, Americans know what that is. Carl's Jr. in Shanghai. I, I almost want to switch cities now. Is that like, oh my God, be <laughs> careful with what you said? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Shanghai is a great city. But wait, is that is that something like a like 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 Wendy's or or uh, Bojangles or any of those things? Oh my gosh, it's in a category of its own. So. In the way that you okay, when you look at McDonald's and Burger King, I'm going to insult mm-hmm. so many people right oh now. Oh my god! I'm so sorry. Probably me included. <clears throat> so let's see. I'm All right. So McDonald's is you know the most processed I think food you can pretty much find in the world, <laughs> and then Burger King is trying to be so like homemade burgers. But yeah, it's, home it's, to the Whoppers. Eh, not really. Mm-hmm. So, but then so what Burger King is to McDonald's in terms of slightly being more food like <laughs> Carl's Juniors. Carl's Juniors is more food like than that. Carl's Juniors. Tastes almost like you would have made it at home. Okay, but it's the same kind of food. It's still burgers and... and yeah, it's burgers and fries, but it's a little more... It's, it's more expensive. That's what it is. <laughs> but uh, Okay, well, next time I'm in Shanghai, I'm going to check it out and see what it what it is about. But, you know, I was recently in Serbia. I was traveling in Serbia. Uh, wow. And then I came back and we were connecting in Doha. And at the Doha, at the Doha airport, because we had a seven hours layout, uh, seven hours layover. Mm-hmm. 
my friend said, uh, let's grab something to eat. And of course, there's different food options. By the way, it, it had everything. It had Western food. It had like Chinese th- Chinese food, Thai food, Indian food, all kind of food at Doha Airport, which is great. Among them, there's a KFC. And <laughs> I was really craving something fried. And my friend said, but I would advise against it because the KFC here is probably not as good as the KFC in China. Really? And no, and no disrespect. I went against her advice and I ordered the KFC. And I have to say it was it was quite a little, you know, disappointing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And this is not me being biased or whatever, just from a very straightforward tasting perspective. It wasn't it wasn't the meat wasn't as as juicy. And then the the fries were kind of like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the oil or the types of potatoes that were sourced locally that was made that that are used to make the fries. It just didn't, you know, I didn't finish my meal, which is kind of a crime when you order KFC. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. It was so bad you didn't finish. Oh, that is not that is like the worse than a one star review. It's like a negative one star. I just didn't finish it. I, I can't know. eat this. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. But you know, you know, there were uh, Matthew Perry passed recently. The Friends star, and so I was watching some of his old comedy routines. And he, and yeah. this is going to insult all of our British listeners. So if you're British, get get ready. But don't worry. I don't actually believe this. It's just just from a skit. Just quoting. <laughs> so yeah, Matthew Perry was doing a class on Saturday Night Live where he was teaching how to be uh, sarcastic. It's called, it was like sarcasm 101. Oh, wow. And, and someone okay. says, okay, we, we, did, we agreed that homework was to come up with something insulting to say about British food. And one of the people in his class, in this imaginary SNL class says, wow, yeah. boiling all of your food. That what is, a great idea. <laughs> oh, wow. That is, <clears throat> that is a little sad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Listening to the bridge. Okay, so this yes. I got I got something. Let's get off of this topic quickly. Okay, so agriculturedive.com. Uh, China signs purchase agreements for U.S. farm goods worth billions of dollars October 30th, 2020. In this, it has some data, as you would imagine. It says the U.S. Department of Agriculture reported sales of 126,000 metric tons of soybeans Mm. or approximately 277.8 million pounds. 277.8 million pounds. Wow. That is an insane amount of soybeans. You know, (laughs) I'm trying to do the math in my mind. Like how many human beings does that equal? Right. Yeah. That's one. That's roughly, you know, a pound of soybeans for every American was sold to China. You know, it's interesting. Uh, that China actually purchased an enormous amount of sorghum as well. And I was talking to someone recently, I think it was Bebe actually. Mm. And I mentioned that, you know, China imports all the sorghum Mm -hmm. from the United States. One of the, one of the biggest staples that China uh, buys from us farmers. And she mentioned, Oh, Baijiu is made out of sorghum. Yes. I had, researched this particular thing a couple weeks earlier out of personal curiosity. <laughs> I don't want to insult you as farm, farmers. I love you guys. You know, I, I have friends in my family who are farmers. The sorghum that is imported from the United States is used to feed hogs. <laughs> and then s- sorghum that is y- sourced for a uh, locally made mm. baijiu is largely 
grown Local. in China. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Ma- Mao Tai is grown very locally. Yeah. And that is why the quality of Mao Tai is so high because they have a, you know, in Fran- the south of France, you have vineyards that are like for very specific brands of wine. And that's the only one you could use exactly the same thing with a lot of Chinese uh, baijiu. So the sorghum, most of the sorghum yeah. coming over from the United States is not being made into alcohol, despite initially I thought that too. It was like, oh, wow, they're making this into booze. No. <laughs> but no. I, you do, they do make booze out of their own sorghum, but it's uh, moonshine, right? Is moonshine made out of that or no? You know, moonshine can be made out of anything, but it's also extremely dangerous and people go blind from it. I'm not actually sure. I've always been curious about how moonshine is made, but from what I can tell, it's like largely corn syrup and sugar. Oh, okay. I thought it was just like a, a strictly crops kind of uh, product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't think they use sorghum. They can maybe. I mean, I think it's just one of those things that you just get a bathtub and start going. Like, <laughs> get a ba- what? what? I'm very confused about that concept, and it's hard for me to picture. It's just like why would you get locally made uh, cheap booze? Basically, it's not supposed to taste great. Record U.S. Uh, fiscal year 2022 agricultural exports to China, according to the USDA. So even mm. uh, U.S. Uh, governmental agencies are saying. China is importing more and more agricultural goods. So I have a chart here. I don't want to mm. bore people, but in um, this is in billions of USD. In mm. around 2004, there was about five billion US dollars of export value to China, but in agriculture goods. That's not including microchips and airplanes and stuff like that, or airplane parts. Yeah, just agriculture goods. And then 2022 again, 37 billion. So we have just dramatic. Uh, it's called a trend line, an upward trend line of uh, products that are being sold to China. So far, US farmers are, mm. you know, benefiting enormously from the Chinese market. So you know. Uh, what is they they talk up they used to talk about this term they don't use it anymore it kind of left the news mm. cycle de-risking i think more and more people mm, looked at yeah, the numbers yeah. and they were like this is not good for america and so that term is kind of increasingly just left the discourse because you know, we're talking about $37 billion of farm goods. That's just agricultural goods yeah. going into China. So the opportunity for American manufacturers, American farmers, Amer- all kinds of products to come to China. It's pretty yeah, enormous. It's, it's, it's gigantic. Yeah. And we can't ignore that. And it is largely soybeans and sorghum. I've got all the data in front of me. But there are corn exports. <laughs> this is interesting. I, ha- I have, this is from the USDA. From 2020 to 2021, there was a dramatic increase in corn exports, it's about 10 to one. So like 10 times more corn exports started going to China over that Mm. period of time. And the same thing with uh, sorghum. Sorghum actually was not that high in 2019, but by 2022, it had 20 times as much. Cotton exports also from 2016 to 2022, mm. it, it about quintupled about five times. Beef exports also in 2017 practically didn't exist. Now there are two billion uh, US dollars of beef exports going to China. So again, farmers doing incredibly well. Yeah. Um, th- uh, this is a bunch of things. Sorghum, number one, corn, number two, uh, soybeans, number one, corn, number two, sorghum, number three, cut, number four, beef and veal, followed by chicken, followed by mm. a whole bunch of other. So U.S. farmers, you know, they need this. Yeah. <clears throat> and I yeah. just, you know, just a quick, quick, uh, quick observation. I, I doubt if you talk to like a, a U.S. farmer, they would hostile views against China. Maybe <laughs> this is, you know, the, the, the regular Americans probably don't really 
you know, know that much or care to really have a, a negative idea about China, especially if they know where their product is being sold to. They're probably happy about it. Yeah. You know, I talk to Americans all the time. And because we do this show, I'm always asking them about what are their impressions? When did they go back? What did their relatives mm -hmm. say? And from what I can tell, you know, from everyone uh, interviewing just 100 people, like 95% of people, what they know about China is like that they have Kung Fu and rice, you know, like that's it. Most people don't know anything at all, you know, nothing. You know, they couldn't name more than five cities in China. I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, that is like <laughs> they're going, they're watching Seinfeld, yeah. or whatever the popular show is that, you know, you know watching science fiction movies. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. You know, by the way, yeah. and this is an aside, it has nothing to do with this episode at all. I've really noticed mm. something, that, a trend that I hadn't realized was as strongly entrenched as it, I, I realized recently. The amount of okay. Americans who like space, space technology, space, science fiction versus Chinese folks is a totally different universe. I'm realizing that every American I know is obsessed with space. And like most of the Chinese people <laughs> I know barely know, you know, what's going on in space technology. I think that's a huge difference because Americans, we grew up on like every science fiction TV, like Star Trek, Star Wars, and they're like a hundred other things, Flash Gordon and all this other, all this junk. And in China, that wasn't really a thing. So like everyone I meet from America mm. is like, knows everything SpaceX is doing and iSpace, which is a Chinese company. Mm. And you ask Chinese yeah. people, and they're like, yeah, we went to the moon and, and stuff, but that's all they, you know, there's not a, there's a huge, I think, I think we could do a whole show on just on space, yeah. you know, and Americans would eat that stuff. Up. And I have, I have some, I have something to add to this topic very quickly as well, Yeah, sure. because usually when people know about Chinese you, especially Chinese government space projects, it's from the CCTV news or any, mm. you know, reliable news source. And to be quite frank, people, the, the you know, the main demographic of these news sources are probably people, our parents' generation who are used to watching these news uh, channels every day and they will talk about it. But young people seems like, you know, they have so many different uh, categories of news and information they need, mm. they need to take in. So they're not particularly following up on which spaceship is just launched or which spaceship just went to the to the universe to, went to space but in terms of people's interest on science and, and and science fiction in that matter which is kind of closely related to how people view space science there is a hmm. rapidly growing market in china for science fiction and if you you know like we talked about me going to the science fiction the world sci-fi conference right yeah in chengdu and prior to that we went to a couple different uh, science conventions, the Chinese sci-fi convention and, and, and you know, Beijing sci-fi, Beijing popular science. So there's a lot of events, a lot of work that is being put into uh, not really popularizing science, but raising people's interest in science, especially uh, kids and teenagers interest in exploring science outside of school, outside of just, uh, you know, a subject mm -hmm, they need, mm -hmm, they need mm -hmm. to be 
tested on. And one of the, the measures is to develop science fiction as an industry. And you and I have both been to the, the Capitol Steel Park in the very west part of Beijing. That's that's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. one place in Beijing that's so far out that I don't mind going to because it's so cool. It's so like it's so far out. It's I can walk there in like 20 minutes. What are you talking about? Oh, oh my God. I was actually thinking <laughs> when I went to Huashi Live the other day, I was like, oh, I'm in Jason's I'm in Jason's neighborhood and Jason's yeah. going to brag about it but it is very close to jason which which it's is true, very jason. lucky for him oh you well for that one <laughs> that one i'll give it to you because it is an like an amazing place to just look at even and the uh the 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 venue that hosts all of the conventions and events was amazing as well and then that's just beijing there's also chengdu and other cities that are just gearing up to really try to get in on this really you know fast going game of being a kind of a sci-fi power of the world and we have we have our big names out there in outside of china liu Cixing and 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 you know wang jingkang and han song all of these writers their their works are being published and made into like we, netflix TV shows we gotta do a show about this unfortunately this is not that <laughs> so we're gonna get back on track and i will all plan more. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. I just want to go over really quickly for APEC. Yes. You know, who are the members? I'm going to just highlight a few because there are so many of mm. them. Uh, Russia, Canada, the United States, Mexico, Peru, Chile, New Zealand, Australia, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, Philippines, all the parts of China, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, etc. Did I mention Japan? Yeah, Japan and Korea also. But there's more. There's more. So like mm. it's an enormous amount of countries that are part of this economic forum, which are, uh, you know, trying to basically remove barriers to free trade and to facilitate as many kind of products going to each other's countries as possible. Now, I've only say this stuff because I just came back from the China International Import Expo in Shanghai, and I got some stories because I was walking around looking at all the products that are trying to get into China, trying to get into the Chinese market. And I interviewed 27, 28 people, asked, who is your representative? Tell me about your product. And they were trying to get into, or they were already in. So for example, mm. Dell, a text, you know, Dell, yes. Dell computers. I used to, not anymore. <laughs> I think I did yet, yeah, like 15 years ago or something. Yeah. yeah. They're here already. So I was like, well, you know, you guys are here. Why are you here? <laughs> you know, like at the expo, you know, <laughs> what are you trying to do? And they just wanted to be represented at this forum because it's such an important forum, make new content. Tax. Of course. You know, one of the things that they mentioned to me is they're not just trying to maintain their presence in China and make Chinese contacts, but the China International Import Expo is a great opportunity to meet other companies from around the world because they're all, you know, in one place at the same time. So people from Dell mm. are going over and talking to their neighbors and the people around them and they're part of the forum. And so, uh, yeah, it's a great, great chance to mingle with companies from all over the world. The Expo Center, by the way, the venue is shaped like a giant yeah. four-leaf clover. And I thought, oh, it doesn't look that big. 
but and then you go into it. It's not just that it is as big as it looks from above. It's actually mm. layers. So you once you finish with uh. the surface layer, you go down, and there's a whole other expo center just the same size, and then you go down, and there's a whole other, and it's just my god. How long does it take? How long does it take for just a person to kind of just walk through and just? I didn't. <laughs> I was there. I, I was there. I was in Shanghai for five days, and I was three days at the expo center, pretty much all day. Yeah, and I was. Constantly walking up and down and everywhere as fast as I could. Sometimes Man. I didn't see I didn't see everything that could be seen, and not even half. Maybe I saw maybe I saw maybe half. I was in the physical location of half, but I couldn't look in every direction the whole time. Mm. It was so much, and so I saw American companies there, and that's why I bring this up because I'm an American. I want to talk about what we've got going on uh, at the expo and what Ch American companies are trying to crack into the Chinese consumer market. So. Mm. I, the first one I found, I found Tyson, you know, I was looking around, what brands do I know? Okay. I don't know what that is. I can't read that language. Okay. That says Russia. Okay. Oh, okay. And I found Tyson my first day. I walked up there and they're like a big spreads of food and stuff trying to sell yeah. Tyson meats. And I, I asked them, oh, you know, uh, are you guys already here? And they're like, yes, we are. And I was like, the same thing. <laughs> Everybody's so, here. We just yeah. don't know about it. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're here and they're, you know, doing a lot of business, but they're hoping to grow, hoping to stretch their legs, if you will, into China and really grow into the market uh, even and even larger. Because, you know, I go to the grocery store and I went and I was looking in the meat section for American products for this show. And I saw that there's uh, Smithfield. Do you know Smithfield? They sell sausages and sliced meats and stuff. Dude, I don't China think so. And uh, some other other related products in that section. But I didn't see Tyson. So I think oh. Tyson is trying to, you know, get up there with Smithfield and other, uh, you know, mm. American brands that are already successfully here and selling their products in China. So that is a, an opportunity for them. Yeah. Let's see. Where else did I go? I went everywhere. I found Johnson & Johnson's drug company. <laughs> you know, they, they had a medicine and medical yeah. technology set of, uh, I don't know what they want, not arenas, set of halls. Yeah. And in the in, inside, I was looking around for American companies, American brands, and I found Johnson & Johnson. I went up and I tried to get an interview from them. Mm. Oh, they nice. Were willing to talk, they were willing to talk about their products with me, but they wouldn't let me film them. So oh, that's, that's, a, that's a little unfortunate. But did you... That's a thing for a lot of people, Johnson and Johnson, especially for Chinese consumers, because it's been such, it's been such a kind of an old brand here. It's been here for a long time, and most people mm -hmm. still think of baby products when you when you mention yeah. oh, yeah, when you mention yeah. Johnson, Johnson Johnson baby shampoo, yeah. right? <laughs> it's baby shampoo, baby lotion that baby brings batter. back that smell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a very successful branding. So it's actually cool that they're doing something that's still related to their original branding that the Chinese, uh, you know, the majority consumers probably don't know too much about yet. And you have the first hand information now, Jason. Well, you know, I was walking up and down interviewing anyone who would talk to me in the medical technology and medicine, like exhibits among them. And I got some, yeah. I, just amazing things going on in medicine. Like I went up to this one booth. I can't remember where they're from, from the Middle East somewhere. Mm -hmm. And they, they mentioned that they have a new technology where they take a, a like it, kind of like they put the straps all over you and they check your different signals. Okay. And they can tell if you will have a heart attack within 95% accuracy within the next 720 days. So that's like what, two years or something. Wow. So they're like, if you're going to have a heart attack within the next two years, we'll be able to tell. So 
you know, what I would do is go in there as healthy as possible, run out and start eating McDonald's all day, every day. It's, it's still, it's still cool. It's, I see, I think that kind of technology is going to be very popular in China. A lot of young people are not sure about their health situations. A lot of them are, are acting like Alex who don't want to go have a physical checkup. I am okay. You know, I'm okay with that length and I'll continue to go do that every every two years. Well, you know, and I think a lot of Chinese people will. You, aren't you required here in China, like with your job or something, to go get a health check once a year? It's required for the company to provide the service, but it's not required that oh, you have to go. It's different for foreigners because, you know, we have to do that kind of stuff. We have a regular yearly, like, make sure that you get a health check thing as part of our whole, you know, they're not going to kick us out if you have terrible health. They're just going to be like, yeah, you're unhealthy, <laughs> but that you have have to go get checked. Yeah. So every year that I've been in China, I've got a full physical completely oh. way more than you would anticipate their checking. Okay. <laughs> I did. I thought it was only for when you apply for a new visa, but there's a different one. That's a different one where you have to go through a government check when you first come in. But every single company I have worked for has required that I do an annual checkup. I see. They're just like, Oh, we're renewing your contract. Please go blah, blah, blah. And so I've always done it. Mm. I've never found anything that bad. So it was always like, okay, good. I'm still healthy. You know, a lot of people don't go get their checkups. Mm. But because I'm kind of required to, I feel like uh, safer because I always know if something's going to go wrong or not. I found this very strange statistic. And so I highlighted it and put it into my research. Okay, And I think it's so bizarre and I really don't understand it except from a, mm. from a back to the future reference. So yeah. visualcapitalist.com made in America versus made in China. And there's a, a little section that I just cut this one piece out. Who prefers American made? Mm, interesting. So it says, here, boomers have an 83% favorable view of American-made products. But by the time that you get to Gen Z, it's 45%. And there's actually, in Gen Z, a 41% favorable, more favorable view of Chinese-made products. Mm. And I thought this was so interesting because you literally have Americans, almost half of them, who prefer Chinese products to American products. I yeah. thought that was very interesting. And I remember... In uh, sorry, Back to the Future Two, they're talking about Japanese-made products. Yeah, and Marty McFly says, "Oh, everything you know, everything cool is made in Japan." And that was like you know, oh, made I in 1991. That. Yeah, it was supposed to be about 1985. Mm. So I thought, oh, you know, at one point Japan was this giant economic powerhouse. Yeah, but now China is this giant economic powerhouse, making some of the highest, most advanced technology in the world, and Americans are actually appreciating that. Americans' view of Chinese-made products is, you know, higher than it has been historically. I think that's really interesting that more and more Americans are looking to Chinese products as a very high quality product. That's a, that's a good sign, you know, because we do have good stuff. And I think China has been working to shake off the image of the, you know, the cheap but not good kind of manufacturing image that the world used to have against it. And right, used to. Used have. to have against it. And now it's, uh, there are world leaders um, that are, speaking on public forums and in front of press and, and basically in front of the world saying that China is leading power in artificial intelligence and um, other technologies. And it's, oh, it, is. it is. And it's yeah. important to include yeah. China because there's still people that are like, oh, why are we inviting China into this AI conference? <laughs> so, and they're like, well, because they're good. <laughs> because, yeah, if you don't invite them, then half of the AI you know companies aren't represented because that's where they are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. listening to The Bridge.
Okay, so this is from November 1st, a few, you know, a little bit ago, but still fairly recent. Gavin Newsom looks ahead to APEC meeting. Now, remember, we just talked about Gavin Newsom. For a whole episode. <laughs> yeah, he came over to China and he was like, woohoo, spinning yeah. cars and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know how many people know this. Of course, he's governor of California, but I was in San Francisco when he was the mayor of, Cal- of, of San Francisco. So not only is the governor mm. of California and maybe potential future presidential candidate and maybe president, but he's also the mayor of San Francisco and that's where APEC is going to be. Now, APEC moves around from venue to venue, but this time it is in Gavin Newsom's home city. Oh, wow. So I, he's he apparently has taken a great amount of interest in the uh, event. And he says, uh, okay. I'm aware, this is a quote from Newsom on the APEC, I'm aware some folks want to turn their back on the world and want to deny the uh, the relationship and pound their chest, mm. but don't make real progress. So I think he is basically saying that he thinks that progress should be made. Sino-U.S. relations are important. I'm just, I'm translating for, for Newsom here. If, hey, Gavin, if you're listening and you want to, <laughs> if you want us to read your comments really on the show, you want to join the show, yes. email us at welovethebridgeatgmail.com and we would be happy to have you or a representative of your office on the show. It'll okay. just be as fun as when you played basketball with that little kid. Oh, goodness. That was perfect timing. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, I can't you, let I it go. Can, you know, from I that, I can let tell that you one go. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is another article, you know, uh, ECNS.CN, that is a Chinese uh, URL. APEC summit could shore up US-China ties. So I think a lot of people, I think it's not just people in the United States and China who are looking at the US-China relationship and looking at the opportunity for us to cooperate, but everyone. I mean, it's not in anyone in the entire world's interest for the U.S. and China not to have a, a splendid relationship because, yeah. you know, China went into all these different like uh, developing nations around the world. They built schools and hospitals. And I've documented a lot of this myself personally. Yeah. And uh, then the United States in previous years has gone and shown up and said, you know, you have to choose us or them. And like, you know, the African nations, Kenya and what whatnot, they're not it's just like, okay or no, they're just like, that's not how the world works anymore. Mm, exactly. And we want to be friends with everyone. So I think in my personal analysis, everyone around the world is basically like, you two kids get along. Pretty much. <laughs> figure figure something out. <laughs> and we don't, we don't, we don't care how many times you have to meet, but we want you to, we want to, we want you to get on each other's you know, good yeah, side. It, it, there no one benefits. The United States doesn't benefit. China doesn't benefit. The world doesn't benefit if we don't get along and work and move forward on everything we could be cooperating on. It is so important. So I've got a bunch of data. Oh, your favorite. Yeah. I, w- I was talking to people. <laughs> I think I'm a visual learner because I look looking at graphs. It's the way that I absorb information. I can see the mm. size and shape and color of data. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. That's interesting. So this is from howmuch.net. They do a lot of really cool graphs that they update on an annual basis. And they do exports of goods by type of product. And they are a very American-based. So this is U.S. exports by by type of product. Uh, The United States exports industrial supplies and materials, which go into Chinese products as well. Mm. And they export other business services. So financial products, which Chinese folks use as well. Mm. So a lot of the things that the United States is exporting, China imports. And as we already saw, the United States also imports an $11.1 trillion worth worth of imports of goods and services. And this is 2020. Mm. So that means they're also importing the same kinds of things, actually, industrial supplies and materials, consumer goods, not really that 
as many automobiles as you might expect because you know there are a lot of big U.S. Uh, automobile brands. But I think uh, BYD is probably going to crack that open in the future. Yeah. I also have top ten most highly traded goods in the U.S. So we have computers, machinery, mineral fuels, electrical machine uh, machinery, uh, cars. There's just so much going on. This is still this is from U.S. Census. U.S. and and China. What's at stake? U.S. imports from China: computers and electronics. Number one, mm. electrical equipment. Number two, miscellaneous manufacturing, machinery, clothing, fabricated medical, furn- uh, sorry, metal, furniture, transportation equipment, chemicals, plastic and rubber products, leather and similar goods. So this is what the U- U.S. is importing from China. Mm. Now, these are things that the U.S. is exporting. This is 2018, mm. exporting to China transportation equipment. And a lot of that is airplanes, yeah. actually, or airplane parts, even though China is about to shift to the C919, yep. like 15 parts in that thing are are from the United States. Uh, computers and electronics, chemicals, machinery. It's interesting because you have the same categories of goods going both ways. Mm. Oil and gas, farm crops. We saw that. And actually, farm crops is only five is only a very small portion of what's going on. Number one thing, transportation equipment is far outpaces farm crops. So we're talking about agricultural goods. That's just a tiny fraction of what the U.S. is actually selling to China. Miscellaneous manufacturing, waste and scrap and electrical equipment. So, yeah, I guess I guess transportation equipment, transportation of vehicles is just the, the unit price is so much higher you don't you don't need that much and it just takes up a huge chunk of the export. You know, yeah, well, you, look at this. You go out on the streets and yes, we do see BYD and and you and Chinese uh brands, but you see Teslas everywhere in China. They're all over the place. Mm, it, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and they're really beautiful and since, ever since we brought our friends from the states um and they saw these EVs and they kept like being super blown away by it. I just got this urge to take take pictures of all of these um what do you call these EV cars on EVs on exhibition and the really beautiful and I'm always oh, yeah. snapping pictures and trying to send it to our friends in the, in the US be like look there's another beautiful EV that's uh, that looks like a nice SUV or a race car yeah there's so many brands of Chinese electronic vehicles that are coming it's out to remember all I can't the time. remember yeah I can't remember all of them but I mean I mean I looked at the data so many times I should be able to but there, but if you're going down the road it's like oh I've never seen that one before oh I've never seen that one before yeah. I got another piece of data and this it's not very explicit about what it is it's just about money in 2015. Top U.S. states exporting services to China 2015. Number one, California exports, and this is 2015, $7.3 mm. billion. So, and there was growth over the year before, 323%. Texas is number three. So Texas also benefits enormously from trade with China, as does New York, Number two, state, not city, although I'm sure the city mm. has a big part to play. Florida, which is surprising, number four. Yeah. You know, so come on, you know, Republicans. China is benefiting you too and your states as well. <laughs> this is not all of the data. I don't want to read all, all of it. Yeah. So yeah, U.S. Uh, manufacturers, U.S. workers are benefiting enormously from trade with China. So we need to keep that. We Americans need to keep that in, in mind that our relationship with China is beneficial for the United States enormously for our farmers, for our workers, for our manufacturers, for our companies. Yep. China is the largest consumer group in the world. If we want us to be successful, this is where we grow. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the data that the big companies that are planning on growing, and that is 731 new Hilton hotels will be built 
in uh, China what? in by twenty by twenty twenty seven. Seven hundred more Hiltons. Seven hundred and thirty one. Oh my god! <laughs> I would be surprised with uh, with seventy three, but ten times that number. That I mean, that's that's good news. That means whatever city you go to, you'll have a nice hotel, really nice hotel to stay at. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was in uh, Senya. And we were staying, uh-huh. I forget what the name of, it was, a, it was a huge hotel brand. I'm sorry, I'm not representing. It was beautiful. It was exquisite. It was lovely. We had a great time. There was a swimming pool and access to the beach. But then we went, we went around uh, Senya quite a bit. We realized the coolest part of Senya is where the Hilton was. And mm. my wife and I were like, next time we come back to Senya, we're staying at the Hilton. Because you can, <laughs> not because we like Hilton, Hilton's great, I'm sure, yeah. And, and we don't mind it. But literally, if you cross the street of the Hilton, yeah. you're in like the largest night market in the city, which is, you know. That's where you want to be. Oh, I think, is it in, uh, well, we can talk about it. I think I know where that, which that area is, but that's awesome. You have something that's high end, like, like Hilton and then something really local, like the night night market right next Mm. to it. Also, yeah. Uh, Popeyes is planning on growing here too, so they're going to try to give KFC a run. I don't. I, I keep forgetting Popeyes in China. Yeah, they're grow- they're planning on coming back in a huge way and growing hundreds of branches. They're so, still in Shanghai, right? I'm not sure. Everything is in Shanghai. They have Carl's Juniors in Shanghai. Oh, they had the first Taco Bell in Shanghai. I am so envious of Shanghai sometimes. <laughs> just for that, just for Popeye, not for oh, other things. Carl's Juniors, my goodness. <laughs> I'm glad they have finally have Taco Bells here in Beijing yeah. because now I can get my fix here. You're listening to The Bridge. Oh, by the way, I was in Shanghai for CIIE, as I mentioned, and they had a Taco Bell that delivered. I only ate Taco Bell oh my God. while I was in Shanghai. Oh, Jason, that's so, that's so American of you. I know. I'm sorry. I'm so, I love Chinese food, too. Taco Bell tastes like my childhood. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I understand that. I understand uh, that. It made me feel like I was in that, it, you know, 1980s living room with the, sh- the brown shag carpet, you know, eating Taco Bell with my family. Kind of that feeling. Brings your childhood back for you. Oh, so Starbucks has 6,500 branches now in China, but they want to actually grow that by another 2,500 by 2027. <laughs> yeah. So Starbucks is going to grow more. Oh my and God. So, you know, this is interesting because, you know, I consume Starbucks sometimes. I consume Luckin's at other times. And so Luckin has 10,000 yeah. branches in China, which is a, a domestic yeah. brand. So Starbucks and Luckin are basically becoming Pepsi and Coke of the coffee business in China. Pretty much. And, and I think I mentioned when I went to Singapore, I saw Luckin in Singapore as well. So I was like, oh my God, I didn't know that Luckin is already overseas. So maybe Luckin will go into America someday. Ooh, that would be, that'd be awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right? It would be people they will, that will be quite interesting people will be talking about it in in all kinds of ways possible you and i both know it'll it'll be positive and, and negative but it'll be a very interesting discussion that's 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 a fascinating way of looking at things yeah so you know when i was at ciie i had the opportunity to go around and i want to emphasize anyone who has the uh, business in in the united states you should and you're looking to branch out in china and you're like i don't know what to do i don't know where to start mm. i don't have a chinese uh friend i don't have a Chinese business contact. I don't know how to do it, you know, and my company's, you know, only valued at a couple million or whatever. 
this is where you need to come next year. So I was, it's the China International Import Expo in Shanghai every year. This is the sixth year. And apparently this year it was like twice as busy as last year. Wow. That's super exciting. You're not just going to make Chinese contacts. You're going to make contacts from yeah. everywhere because there were 100 nations represented, 100 business or businesses from 100 nations and 60 actually mm. emissaries from their countries of some kind, including, you know, the U.S. ambassador was there. I think the Australian prime minister was there. If you want to grow in China mm. and you don't know who to who to reach out to and you don't have contacts, yeah. show up next year, get a booth and just stay for all five days. Then you're going to make contacts. Because when I was going up and interviewing people from different places, I was people and people from mm. Afghanistan, people from Pakistan, people from Japan, people from Malaysia, people from Canada, America, Can uh, Australia, everywhere, all over the world. I was going up and asking them, you know, OK, you do have a presence in China. China, or you don't have a presence in China. What are you doing? What are you hoping to accomplish here? And I kept asking these same kind of questions. Mm. And a lot of people were like, well, I, did, I didn't exist here. But while we were here, yeah. we made some contacts with some Chinese branches. And now we're going to be on Taobao, JD. We're going to have platforms. We're going to open a store and such and such. We're going to open a store in Beijing or Shanghai or Harbin. And they were naming yeah. how they were going to grow as a consequence, as a direct consequence of being at the CIIE. So they were at in Shanghai at CIIE representing, you know, carpets for this Afghan company. For example, this Afghan company, very small company, they had carpets, but they'd made, they told me that they had made Chinese contacts with Chinese business persons who now are going to import their products from Afghanistan in mass. Yeah. You know, tons of carpets now coming into China in the next coming couple of years because they came to this expo. They made the right contacts. So you're not just going to meet one Chinese business person or two. You're going to meet, you know, potentially dozens. And then you're going to have your choice of what kind of options you people were literally standing in halls, audience people, uh, journalists, uh, influencers were walking around around them while they're literally signing papers. Mm. They're signing papers on the desks in front of them on the Expo floor, yeah. making deals for, with countries that are all around the world and China and Chinese companies. So you want to break into the largest consumer market in the world? Yeah. Come to CII next year. It's going to, you know, that's going to make or break your company. If you're looking to grow, this is where you should become, this is where you should be growing. Yeah. And this type of events really, really creates a lot of opportunities and maybe ideas that you didn't even have before. Um, even in my own industry, in the film and business, film and animation industry when we go to these events when we go to these conventions you meet people that you didn't know that you were going to that work they were going to be there and you talk to them and they're like oh we should totally do this in china or with china and that conversations happen all the time and a lot of big projects come from that kind of conversations at these conventions so follow jason's advice you either come here as a what do you call it a vendor or exhibitor or just come and I, I would love to go I haven't been to that event myself I would love to go just to walk around and see what's going on and it's probably really really fun but another thing that I, I think we need to mention really is that since we were talking about APEC earlier uh, and, and we talked about this before which is an APEC kind of visa like an APEC business oh, yeah. right the APEC uh, business card thing that you can right. have and just go to all of the, the 
the APEC countries. If you, you you're going for business, of course, it's not just like you know you can get a card and you can travel to these countries for free um, without a, without a proper visa. It's only for if you are a representative of a of an active uh, economy, like an active institute, and you need to conduct business. And I think it's going digital, so you don't you don't even need a physical card anymore. It's just going to be part of your um, your viable your valid uh, passport of your own country of residence. I can't. I I would love to get that business card. I would love to just go around these countries on different kind of conventions and events. And if I just yeah, visa fee travel to thirty countries. That's amazing. Oh my god, that's yeah, and that's that's. And I mean, I hope I hope they're gonna talk about this this time as well just make it more not popular but you know make the criteria more clear and we will just know for sure whether we can apply for I it i wonder if if it if what the quali- exact qualifying marks are so maybe you have business in one country but you're exporting or importing from another apec country maybe something like that yeah so you have to prove that you are in international company doing business in apec countries so yeah. I'm, I'm just guessing you just do guessing. have to i actually have it like um right in front of me actually has yeah what are what are, what are the so qualifications first uh it's short for it's short it uh for abtc this is travel card uh apec business travel card um well you have to have a passport of course from um any of the apec countries and country and regions and you also need to engage in regular business travel throughout the APEC region. I, I assume that you will have to provide proof of you flying back and forth, you know, between these countries to, to get it. And then I could take a couple trips <laughs> just to get the card, <laughs> just to get this card. Let's open a company. You and me, Alex. But we already have you know. so many amazing ideas. And then hopefully our, <laughs> right, right. hopefully our listener base can be our first batch of customers and we can already start traveling. Hey, we could open a bridge company. What, what do you, what do you guys work for? Oh, we work for the bridge. We built, you know, international bridge we builders. Built, we built virtual international cultural bridges. Yes, but you always <laughs> seem to go to these tropical islands. That's where they need the bridges the most. <laughs> and then who said that we don't want a bridge between China and Japan and China and, uh, you know, all of the other places that are not tropical. We want, but we want to build bridges with those countries as well. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We want to build bridges everywhere. We want to build bridges everywhere. Our company is very ambitious. You know, actually, I think we're off topic a little bit here, but uh, Wuhan, I think, probably does have the big, biggest bridge building companies. Have you ever been there? Oh, my gosh. It's all bridges. It's like they made the city out of bridges. I I haven't. And I feel bad for not having been there. I feel like I'm failing you. I'm failing Jason. Well, you should go visit. You know, I was at <laughs> Summer and I were thinking about where we're going to take a vacation and we're increasingly like leaning towards just go back to Wuhan for a vacation. Aww. It's such a nice. And you stay in your own apartment as well. That's nice. Yeah, that's right. It's the cheapest mm. hotel in the world. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really excited. You know, I, I don't know how many millions of times I mentioned this, but I'm from San Francisco. Yeah. So all this is taking place in my home city that everyone's going to San Francisco and that that's where, you know, you know, I wouldn't say that we're thawing Sino-US relations. I think that's already happened. Yeah. I think with Wongi's visit to Washington, D.C. and Gavin Newsom coming over here and Blinken coming over here and Yellen coming over here. And if there can be a Xi Biden meet with that is positive, that is, yes. we're well beyond thawing and we're back into, you know, happy days again, maybe. And so I, I hope that... A lot can be done to move forward the needle on like, hey, America, China, we're buddies and let's do let's let's trade. Let's do business. Let's work together because that's where we belong. That's where we were before a few years. Yeah, absolutely. Let's hope that there is going to be good things coming out of these meetings that'll help not just us and the whole world become just a little nicer. If you disagree, agree, want to add anything to this conversation, please email us at we love the bridge at gmail.com and we'd be happy to read your comments 
on the air. Thank you so much for your time, listeners. Thank you so much for your time, Alex. Thank you, Jason. The pleasure is always ours. 